Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, everyone. It is indeed a pleasure. This morning I reflected on the task at hand and I was so reminded of, of the fact that it was indeed a privilege. It was God who chose me. I couldn't have chosen myself and I wouldn't have chosen me. If I was at the, I wasn't part of a committee to choose a pastor for NLH, I wouldn't have selected Ava. But God saw fit to do that. And so this morning, I just want to thank him and welcome the presence of God in our lives, which have, has already been done. And so Father, I thank you this morning that, Lord, the words I am about to speak, Lord, are your words. You have tailor-made them, Father, for your people. So, Lord, let every word be spoken, be received in the manner in which it was spoken. Father, I thank you for your love towards your people. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us this morning will experience your love. And for those of us, those who weren't able to join us this morning, Father, I pray that wherever they are, God, that they too will experience the hope that comes from you, our sovereign Lord. Father, I pray for the sick of NLH, the members of NLH who are not well this morning. I pray for your healing touch this morning. I pray that you will touch them, Father, and cause them to be healed because you have touched them. Father, I thank you, Father, for hope, that hope will come and hope will change the very atmosphere of everyone represented here and for those who are not with us this morning. Father, we just give you thanks and we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I shared earlier, we are in the Advent season. And in the Advent season, there is a wreath with four candles, three purple candles, and you'll find another one with a pink candle, or it may be a rose pink or a red. But it's three purple and a pink candle. The four candles represent the four Sundays of Advent. And they and, and as I said before, Advent, Advent begins today. So the four Sundays before Christmas. So it varies from year to year. But they symbolize hope, which, which I'll be speaking about today, which is one of the purple candles. Peace, joy, and love. And ever so often you'll see an interchanging of peace to faith. I want to also share with you the history of Advent. Advent is the beginning of the liturg liturgical calendar of the church. It is a period of four weeks, as I said, before Christmas. According to Dietrich Bonifer, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, those who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and those who look forward to something greater to come. So, so in essence, what he's saying, they are the type of people who don't want to celebrate this, would understand their need for, for Christ's birth and for his return. 
The word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming or arrival, which is translated from the Greek word parousia. It is a period of both reflection on the historical event of Jesus' first birth or first coming in his birth in Bethlehem and the anticipation of his promised return in the future. During this season of Lent, or Advent, I'm sorry, Christians engage in various spiritual practices. This is the time we get to pray and to read the scriptures and to reflect as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christ's birth and as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of his return. So I want you to recognize that this morning that we are not just here because it is a thing to do. We, we come this morning anticipating, but we also come commemorating something that happened and anticipating something to come. This morning, as we looked at, as we as we will look at Psalms 71, David brings to our attention the God of hope. He speaks about his sovereign Lord, who is hope. According to Al, Al Lindsay, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Every time we see someone committing suicide or some, it is, a, it, it is hopelessness. It, hope has been removed and they cannot see beyond. So this morning I want to present to you the one who is hope, the one from which hope originates. So when we speak of the father, we do not speak of him just having hope the way we have hope. No, he, 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 he is the epitome of hope. It is from him hope comes. So the idea this morning that I want us to look at through this, through Psalm 71, is that David is saying, the sovereign Lord is my hope. And I pray that you and I will truly know God so that we can confidently look to him for everything. So this morning, Karen read verses five to six, and I want to expound a little bit more on all 24 verses, but the emphasis will be on verses five and six that Karen read. So let me share with you the background of Psalms 71 so you, you understand what David was experiencing. He, he, he was writing because he was going through uh, trials. Scholars believe that Psalm 71, as I said, was written by King David. And he wrote Psalm 71 when he was an old man. So it wasn't a young man. It was an old man having experience experienced life. It was an old man who had experienced God. And so he wrote this psalm when he was removed from his throne by his son, Absalom. You can go back to 2 Samuel 15, 16, and 17 to read the story of Absalom. Absalom is David's son who held a grudge against his brother and killed his brother because his brother raped his sister Tamar. David, Absalom became upset with David because David did not do what Absalom thought he should have done. Absalom thought that David should, 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 should have either this, killed his brother or to cut him off, but David didn't. David ex extended grace and Absalom was upset. So 
he built, literally built an army to destroy his father and to dethrone his father, David. And so here in Psalm 71, we hear David's heart as he, as he, as he runs from a son who is hunting him. But what I realized in Psalm 71 is that despite David's problem, David kept his focus on God. And that is something I think you and I can learn. That despite the situations that we are going through, despite the hardship, the trials, and the afflictions of life, we can, like David, choose to focus our hope on God. So David cried out to the sovereign Lord and he expressed his deep trust, hope, and confidence in the only one who has the power to deliver and rescue him. And David mentions to God, he says, you have been my rock, my fortress, my refuge, my deliverer from youth. So in essence, David is saying to us, I know of this God. I've experienced him before. I've seen him at work before. David ends the Psalms, which show the Psalms, sorry, with shouts of joy and songs of praise and thanksgiving for God's faithfulness, salvation, and righteousness. So we, 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 we recognize that from David's perspective, as he wrote, even though he was in affliction, he wrote Psalm 71 to convey to you and I, the readers, that this psalm is a message of hope. In essence, David says, when you lose hope, come read Psalm 71. When you need to find hope, come, come learn in Psalm 71 what it feels like to have hope when you are in tribulation you are being afflicted you are going through challenges and trials in verse one david declares according to nlt version oh lord i have come for protection the niv says in you lord i have taken refuge the amplified version says in you oh lord i have put my trust and confidently taken refuge the statements, I have come, I have taken, or I have put, are present perfect tense. And these are used to express an action that began in the past, but now has relevance in the present. So in essence, David is saying, Lord, I have come for protection. Meaning that it's not the same day. He's saying that I am here now, Lord. He could have said, Lord, I am here. I have come, says it's a journey that David is on and he has now arrived. He, he recognized that God is the one who protects. He recognized that God is the refuge. He recognized that God is the one he can trust. But this was not an overnight decision or an overnight thought or an overnight revelation. It was something that a journey that David has been on for a while. And he got to the place that he can express, I have come. I have taken. It's a choice he has made. It's a decision that he has made. And he says, I have chosen this morning to put my trust in you. I have chosen to confidently take, to confidently look to you as my refuge. Because there is a because. The statement, I have come, I have put, I have taken, reveals three key aspects it reveal or four sorry it reveals david's conscious and deliberate act 
to trust in the sovereign Lord for protection and no one else. David's trust in God is not a passive action. It's not a passive reliance. It's one that is active. It's one that is dynamic. It is one that is grounded in the belief that God is faithful and reliable. So when David says, I have come for protection, we don't go to any and anyone for protection. Notice when something goes wrong, we call what? 911. We do not call the hospital if we if we have a thief. Because in our minds, we, we, we recognize that the, the police are there to protect us, right? If you feel sick and you need, you need, you, you have the palpitation of your heart, you don't call 911 unless you need an ambulance. But you rush to the hospital if you have the power and the strength to go. So David says, I am deliberate, I am conscious, I am intentionally putting my trust in the sovereign Lord for protection and no one else because he is reliable and he is faithful. The second key aspect is it reveals David's posture of humility in acknowledging that true security is found in God alone. David is not like some of us who try to fix things first. And when it doesn't work, you seek you, you see God. No, David says no. For protection, for refuge, I know where to go. I am not going to fool myself and try to solve this situation on my own. I am not going to follow the worldly wisdom and to do this thing on my own. Because David is known for killing 10,000. What is Absalom to David? What is what, 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 what is an army that is following Absalom for David? David is accustomed to, to killing men, and we read about that in, in, in 1 Samuel. David is accustomed to killing, he's a, he's a mighty warrior. So for him to be running from Absalom and trusting in God, it is he's speaking volume, he's saying, God, I'm not going to take this thing up in my own hands. I'm not going to do it the way that my advisors would advise me or I would have think or thought to do it. I am going to trust you and let you, God, work it out and order my steps. The other key aspect it reveals about this that is that David's decision to rely on God didn't begin in his times of trouble. David says, I have come, which represents that David has finally reached to the place where he's recognizing that God is the one to protect. David did not come to God only when he had a trouble. Had trouble. He started trusting in God through different situations over a period of time. He began laying his concerns. He began going to the Lord and seeking the Lord with his problems long before he got to this point. Because if you read David's life, David had had a history of challenges, history of afflictions and tribulations in his life. And he, what he has learned over time is that God is faithful. You and I, this morning, as I heard Karen pray, she prayed for the body of Christ and she prayed for us here on the line that those of us who are go going through challenging times, she prayed that we will know the hope that God offers. And I pray the same thing for you this and I, myself this morning, that we will seek God today, not when the trouble become hotter, because when there are times when the fire gets so hot, 
You can't, you can't even think. If, you, if your foundation was not set then, you do not know where to turn. So David's decision to rely on God didn't begin in his time of trouble. His decision, it's a decision that he made in the past that was now relevant. Making God our protection is not something that we only do today, as I say, but when we need him. But we make it today when, when, when the fire is not hot so that when we need him, we already have the history of knowing who he is and being with him. The fourth key point that I recognize with David's statement is that it revealed that David had a profound and intimate understanding of God, God's attributes and character, which enabled him to rely on God as a source of hope. In essence, David is expressing that God has been and is his choice in times of need. Because David would have been through enough to know I have done it my way. Frank Sinatra said, I have done it my way. David said, I've done it my way. I've tried it my way. I, 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 I have taken it matters up in my own hand. I have, I have used the wisdom that I have because I am wise on my own, but I've recognized that the best wisdom, the best guidance that I need is one that comes from the one who is the source of my hope. So I ask you this morning, who or what do you rely on? Who or what do you turn to? Who or what is the source of your hope? Psalm 71 for us show, revealed to us that David is declaring in verse one, the Lord is his refuge. And in, and, in, and, in, and in the B, one B, here David says, let me never be put to shame. David is grappling with the idea that his decision to put his trust in God could result in him being brought to shame. There are times that God will ask you to do things, or there are times that you will trust in God. And you wonder, Lord, what will those say? that are looking on, they will say, she's such, so stupid. What will those say who observe the way you're dealing with things opposite to what everybody else would have done? David is grappling. He says, Lord, let me never be put to shame. He earnestly pleads with God to intervene and to prevent any situation that might lead to shame disgrace, humiliation, or disappointment. Recently, I have stepped out in obedience to God, making decisions that seemed so illogical and unwise. And the truth be told, if I pay attention to the signs around me, I will be immobilized by fear. But at the same time, I am facing challenging situations that could lead to disappointment. I could be on a journey that I'm saying, God, I hear you say this, and I've stepped out in faith, but the end result is not what I envisioned it to be. Maybe like David, you are in a situation and you fear that your decision to trust God instead of employing common sense or using the worldly wisdom may result in your being disgraced and brought to shame. Maybe. 
you are trusting God for something that someone is looking on and say, but why don't you do X and Y? It, it's so stupid. Why are you doing that? It makes no sense. And the possibility exists that if you continue on the path that God had called you to walk on, you may be brought to shame. When you and I place our trust in God, it does not mean that we will be exempt from facing challenging situations. It does not mean that you'll be exempt from facing or experiencing emotional doubt and uncertainty. In fact, it is often in the midst of this situation that your trust in God is put to, test, to the test. It's normally the moment when you choose to trust God that everything in the Jamaican, we will say, all else tumble down. It is when you are trusting God and you're, you're, you're on the line and you're saying, God, I am only going to do it your way. I cannot do it my way because I can intervene. I can always intervene in what God is doing and to do it my way. But it is when you are trusting God and you are put to the test that you wonder, God, God, what will they say? What will they think? It is usually in times that you and I need God. In these times that you and I need God to be our, the foundation of our hope. It is in those moments of uncertainties and doubt and fear that you and I need the assurance and the strength of God to navigate through these difficult times. You and I will ever, James tells us, he says, consider pure joy when you face trials. In essence, James is saying to us, trials, tribulations, and afflictions will always come. It's, it, it, it's part of being human. However, those who put their trust in God, according to James, will be able to see it as a time of growth, a time to be, to be joyful, a time to rejoice, a time to grow in maturity. David is saying to you and I this morning that even though he looks to God for protection, he has moments of doubt and uncertainty. But he didn't stop there. In verses 2 to 4, David appeals to God's character and nature as the righteous and just God. And he pleads that God would rescue him. He said, rescue me in verse 2 and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. David recognized that he was not facing, facing the, the, the enemies that he, were, he was facing were evil, cruel, wicked men. Men, who were, were men who were, whose intent was to take his life and the life, lives of his men. And so David turns to the one who has the ability and he says, rescue me. David, please. And he says, God, rescue me. Deliver me. Listen to me. Pay attention to me, God. Respond to me. Save me. Be my rock and refuge to which I can always go. David wasn't looking on a temporary fix. 
He didn't say, God, fix the situation for me now and I'll be good. No, he says, God, be the person, be the protection, be the refuge and the shelter that I will always go. In essence, David is saying, God, I appeal to you. I appeal to the just side of God. I appeal to the righteous nature of God. Listen me, God. Hear me, God. Rescue me. But do it in a way that I will always come back to you. David had to trust that his trusting in God would produce the outcome he expected. In verse 5, David says, For you have been my hope. Oh, sovereign Lord. David is declaring an assurance of who God is. And he's saying, you have been my hope. My confidence since my youth. From birth, I have relied on you. Here David is saying, listen, the history that I have with God is not today. From before I was born, he had, has been my protector. From the, before I was born, he has been my refuge. He has been my confidence from I'm young, from I'm a teenager. I knew about him. I knew that he was there protecting and guiding me. David says, from birth, I have relied on you. And then you wonder, from birth, David, how does a child rely on God or understands how to rely on God? David says, from the moment I have been made aware of you, you have been my hope. From the moment I have relied and, and I, I am aware of your existence, God, I have put and placed my trust in you. David goes on and he says, you brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. Notice, listen to the I will statement. I will ever praise you. David's not saying, Lord, do it for me now. I praise you now, God. He says, I will ever, ever. Speaks of continuity. David said, I will continually, continuously, I will always be praising you, God. So David not saying, God, you are my little genie. I'm now in trouble. Let me rub your stomach and you do what you need to do for me, Jay. David is saying, no, God, that even when I have no problem, I am committing to praising. I am committing to causing, to trusting in you, to relying on you, that you will be the confidence that I have, not my abilities. The truth is many of us are reliant upon what we own, who we know, what we have achieved. David didn't go before the Lord and say, God, you know I am king. He's a king. He didn't say, Lord, I have fought many battles and I have won many battles. David recognized that nothing that he accomplished could have been accomplished without the one who is his hope. David recognized that nothing could have been accomplished without God's help and protection and guidance. The Lord has been David's trust and source of confidence from youth, from childhood. He has relied upon on him from birth. What about you? Can you this morning say to the Lord, 
Or will you this morning say to the Lord, Lord, I may not be like David where I have relied on you from birth, but I am willing to do that today. Will you, David, recognize that when, when the, the only one who can do what needs to be done is the sovereign Lord? He has tactics. He has strategies that you and I will never have because he's all-knowing. He sits from a place of omnipotence. He sits from a place of being omnipresent. He sits from a place of knowing, being omnibenevolent. He sits from a place of being omniscient. And so he has a perspective that you and I will never have without him guiding us. So David acknowledges that God is the only source of his hope. He says, for you have been my hope. Have been again. Here they have been again. Here they, the, the past, the present, perfect tense again. You have been. Mean that David is saying, God, it's not today you start this, this thing. You have been doing this from birth. When I was in my mother's womb. You have been my hope all this while. In essence, David is emphasizing that there is no one on whom he can rely on or on whom or who is reliable and trustworthy as the Lord is. David had a deep personal understanding of God's attributes and character. And you hear as he appeals and pleads to the different things in God, it speaks to the attributes of God. And in doing that, David revealed to you and I this morning, readers of Psalm 71, that God is uniquely qualified and reliable to be the source of our hope. David sends a message many years ago to you and I this morning to say, God is uniquely qualified to be the source of your hope. God is uniquely reliable to be the source of your hope. Will you trust in him? Will you rely on him? Will you depend on him? Will you take allow him to be your refuge, your strength, and your protector? David appeals to God's character. And we see through David that God is unchanging. In a world where circumstances and people may change, God's eternal, unchanging, and steadfast nature. Seen in Isaiah 40, 28, and James 1, 27, provides a foundation of hope. God does not change. He's the same today. He's the same yesterday. And he'll be the same forever. So he is a God who loves and protects and guides and is faithful yesterday, today. The same God he was to David, the same God he was to Abraham, is the same God he is to you today. That is the hope that you and I have today. But David didn't stop there. He showed us in verse 1 that God is trustworthy. David states and he says, I will put my trust in you. Why would you put your trust in someone who is not trustworthy? In putting his trust or declaring that he will put his trust in God, David is 
explicitly stating to you and I, God is worthy of your trust. You can trust him with all your problems. In verses 1 and 7, David reveals to you and I this morning that God is a strong refuge. David sought God for shelter, protection, and security from his enemy. Absalom's army was a very large army, larger than David's army. So why would David seek the refuge of someone who is unable to be the protection and the security that he needs. In verse three, David reveals to you and I that God is a rock and fortress. He appeals to God to be his rock of refuge to which he can always go. I watched a video about maybe a month ago. Quite profound and sobering. In it, the person showed us a house, a beautiful home, large property. And then she broke, she burst our bubbles by saying to us that within a hundred years, that house will no longer be around. The occupants will no longer be around. The furnishings will no longer be around. Because someone within a hundred years will occupy that space. They will either tear that building down or they will renovate that place in a way that it doesn't look the same. There'll be new furnishings. There'll be a new car parked in the garage. And the persons who will live there a hundred years before will no longer be remembered. In essence, what I got from that is that I, I, you and I spend our time or the majority of our time trying to gain something that is temporary. We work hard for our degrees. We work hard to maintain our jobs and to climb the rank. We work hard to buy our first car and then we, 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 we aspire for a better car and then we work harder for that car, that brand name car that we have always dreamt about. We do the same thing with our homes. We want to live in that neighborhood. But the truth be told, all of that will be no more in a very short while. Because most of us will never, never live another hundred years most of all of us on this line we will not be around and david is saying to us this morning put your hope in someone that you can always go to not your home not your car not your degrees not your job not your family not your children but to someone who, because of his nature, is unchanging, is trustworthy, he has the ability, is uniquely qualified to be the person to which you can always go. And so David, this morning through Psalm 71, is saying to us that there are attributes and characteristics of God that makes him qualified to meet your needs to help you with your problems, 
to walk with you through your times of trials and tribulations. And David, through Psalm 71, says to us this morning, you need to know this one, the sovereign hope. The one who gives us hope, the source of our hope. But David didn't stop there. In verses 2 and 24, he pleads to, the, to God to rescue him in his righteousness. And he tells of God's righteous acts of putting to shame those who conspire to hurt or to harm him. In essence, David is saying to us, God is the righteous savior. In verses 2, he tells us that we're not serving a God who is dead, but we're serving a God who is alive. And not only is he, is he alive, but he listens, he pays attention to your needs and to your cries and to your appeals and to your pleas. He hears you when you call. And so David says to him, the source of his hope, he says, incline your ear and pay attention to what I'm saying. Because David knows that if I get the attention of my God, if he hears me, I know that he will meet my need. He will respond to me. He will come to my rescue. He protects me. In verse 6, David says to us, God is reliable. I can rely on him because I have been doing this from birth. David is not telling us about somebody he met last week, which he doesn't know what he's qualified to do or what he can do. He's saying from as, from as, from as early as birth, when I was in my mother's womb, he has proven to be reliable. In essence, David is recognizing that I was not the only child conceived the day I was conceived. Yet many who were, who were conceived on the day I was conceived are not around because God has been reliable. He has kept me. In verse 20, David says to us that God can restore because I, he said, through God, through, though God had made him to see many and bitter troubles, God restored his life again. You look at the word, again means God had restored him before. David recognized that there, there were bitter moments. There were many troubled moments that, he, that God brought him through. He said, God made me see them. In essence, David is saying, God didn't remove them from me or, 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 or hindered me from experiencing. No, he brought me through those moments because he recognized that it's in those moments that I become mature. James again tells us that we become complete, mature, and we lack nothing when we go through the trials and we persevere. David is saying to us that the God that I am presenting to you this morning is one who restores. In verse 21, David says, he comforts. He reveals that he was comforted by God before and that God can do it again. Listen to what David is saying. David is telling us that, listen, whatever problems you have now, God can fix it. And if you should have that problem again, he can fix it again. And if you had it before, he can fix it then. So even though your situation may mirror something that you experienced before, God can do it again. He's the same God of the yesterday, the today, and the forever. He does not change. 
in verse 22, David says he's faithful. David said, I will praise him with heart for his faithfulness. For David to recognize that he can go to God and praise him for his faithfulness. David is sending a message. He said, people of NLH, visitors, those who be listening on, on YouTube, those who are those who be listening on SoundCloud. He said, God is faithful. You can trust him. In verse 23, he says, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have been redeemed. David is saying to us, God is a redeemer, he's a deliverer. So in essence, David is saying to you and I, we can come, we can know this God and we can trust in him to be the source of our hope because our jobs can't provide the hope. You're in a job today, recession comes, the job is gone. You have a beautiful house today, recession comes, you can't pay the mortgage because the job is gone. You, have a you, you are very educated, you have more degrees than a thermometer. And something happens, something happens to the brain, to the mind, and you can no longer remember anything. You are no longer useful in the way you were useful. But David is saying, with the one the only one who is the source of our hope. You can find protection. You can be guaranteed to be restored and delivered and to be comforted and to be listened to. And so David makes some I will statements. In verse 14, he says, I will always have hope. He says, I will always have hope. David recognized that God's power doesn't wane. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't get less. God's ability to be your hope does not change over years because you are aging God. You and I are aging. God is not aging. God will be just as fresh as for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren as he was for our great-grandparents and as he was for us. God does not diminish or change or wane in his power and his authority. He is the same for Abraham, Adam, and he will be the same for us our great, and for our great-great-great-grandchildren. And so David says to you and I, we must never despair. We must never lose hope. Though the visible evidence in our lives says we are on the brink of destruction. David says, no, when you come to the one who is hope and you cause and you trust him to be your protection and your refuge, you can be guaranteed that even if it doesn't work out the way that you desire it, the outcome to be. David says you can trust him. You can trust him. Hope in him helps us to keep going. When you put your hope in God, you can keep going. The trials are there. The tribulations are there. And the truth is, it's either you're in a problem now. You're just coming out of one or you're entering one because it's a human cycle. You and I will never grow to be mature unless we face these adversities. But we do not face them alone once we make God our hope. 
we do not face them alone once we make God our restorer, our deliverer. Once we recognize that he is faithful. And so David says, I will praise you more and more. David is not saying in, in the same verse 14, I am not going to praise you now because you deliver me. I am going to praise you more and more. There will be this continuous praise that is rising up out of me because, of, because I know who you are. It says, my mouth will again tell of your righteousness. I will, in verse 16, it says, I will come and proclaim your mighty act. So David says, you know, God, I will not be silent. I'm going to sing praises. I'm going to shout. I'm going to declare your mighty acts. I'm going to tell everyone. I'm going to proclaim your righteousness. I will not be silent. And the truth be told, many of us, when God has delivered with us, we remain silent because we're private. Because we're confidential. And we do not testify of the faithfulness of God for others to know that God has done it for you and he can do it for me. So this morning I ask you, what are you in need of? Are you in need of the comforting God? Are you in need of the God who restores? Are you in need of the God who redeems and delivers? Are you in need of the God who is trustworthy? Are you in need of the God who is the righteous savior, the rock and fortress that you and I need because no one can come against a fortress? No one man or army can come. We see over and over when you travel to countries that have these large fortresses and you'll see a piece of the rock may have been be chipped away and you recognize it was an army that was trying to get beyond that wall. But when no one can get beyond God being our fortress, he's unmovable. No one can come and stand to match him because there's none who is who is his equal. So when you place your hope in God, you have placed your hope in something that not even brings. Because we see in Jamaica where the bring trucks are being hijacked and they're being robbed. This is not Bank of America, Bank of Jamaica, or these large treasury places. The, he is such a rock and a fortress that no one can contain. No army is large enough. No situation is, 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 is big enough to cause him to wane in his power, to wane in his authority, to lessen who he is. He's uniquely qualified and nobody else can be that qualified. And so this morning I present to you David's source of hope, my source of hope. And I pray that he will become your source of hope. I pray that not only will you know his abilities and what he can do, but that you and I will join together and trust in him. Let every decision that we are to make be made with him. Let every turn that we're about to take be taken with him. He is trustworthy. He is our strong refuge. He is our confidence. He is the one who we can depend on. David says in verse 18, even when I'm old I'm and gray, do not forsake me, O Lord. 
till I declare your power to the next generation. David says, God, I don't want to go down without telling and without talking, without letting others, the next generation, know about you. And look what David has done. We are so many other generations after. And we are reading David's life story that David says, when I am being hunted by my own son to kill me. That's the worst hunt you could have gotten, you know. No parent want to be in, 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 in enmity with their children. If you are being, being hunted by a neighbor, it's bad, but it's not so bad. You don't want to be hunted by your family member. And David says, I will declare to the next generation your power, your might to all who are to come. Even though my son is the one hunting me, the next generation, I'm going to let them know who you are because your righteousness God it reaches to the skies you who have done great things who oh God is like you and so David wants you and I this morning to reflect as I close who is there that fits the description that I just described which person or what thing can you turn to that can provide all of what God can provide for you that David has revealed to us in Psalm 71? As we continue to celebrate the Advent season, as I shared earlier, it is about us commemorating or celebrating what Jesus has done for us. Jesus made it possible that you and I can come to the one who is the source of our hope. And Jesus also makes it possible for us to look, not expecting, but anticipating, awaiting the return of Jesus so that we can be fully redeemed, be fully made, redeemed. Redemption, we can have full redemption in Christ. This morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know what your relationship is like with Jesus. But this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to the God of hope. This morning, I want you to look at your problem that prior to coming on, it was a big problem. And say to the big problem, I have placed my hope in the one who is the source of all hopes. I have taken refuge in the one who alone can give me the hope that I need. After this morning, if you have not yet made Jesus your choice, you have not decided to follow him, don't, don't go beyond today. And if you have already said yes, but you are being tossed to and fro because of life situations. Because you are human. The truth is, because you are human. I say to you today, who can you trust but God? Is there anyone that you can present or anything that is reliable enough to put your hope in? David reminds us that when we place our trust in God, it doesn't mean that we are going to be exempt from facing challenging situations. 
We see David said, Lord, do not let me be put to shame. He said, rescue me, deliver me. Command them to save me. But at the same time, David recognized that he was up against such an army that the possibility existed that he could lose his life. But he turned to the one who had the final say. This morning, my sisters and brothers, I present to you the God will not change tomorrow because you hope in him. But I can guarantee you that your foundation is more secure. I can guarantee you that when you, when God is your hope, when Christ is your hope, the solid rock on which you stand, I can guarantee you that if the situation doesn't change, the peace you will know. The Lord reminded me this morning, Isaiah 26.3. He says, for those of us who are not experiencing peace, it's because we have taken our eyes off him. When he is our focus, when we keep our eyes steadfast and stayed and remained on him, everything else within the peripheral becomes less and less in intensity and importance. But when we keep our eyes on him, though the waves may batter and the ships and the, and the sails may be torn, Though the things in life come at us, David says, you can have the confidence. You can have the trust that our God is able to do and to take us through these challenging times. So, Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you, David, recognized that he had to wait. He said, I will always have hope. Meaning that even if the situation doesn't fix today, I will continue to wait. I will continually wait on you because of who you are, God, Jesus. I will continue to wait because of who you are, because you are trustworthy. Because you are a God who delivers that which you have promised. And even if tomorrow morning when I wake up, my situation remains the same, I will continue to put my trust in you. So, Father, I thank you this morning for who you are to us. I thank you this morning, Father God, that on this line represents so many different concerns. But there is none that you do not have the power and the authority to address. There is none, Father God, that can come. No problem can come before you this morning that you are unable to fix. And so we do not come just because we want to fix a problem. We come because we want to know you, the God of hope. We come because we want to be in intimacy, in relationship with you, the God of hope. We come because we want to have everything in place before we think we need the God of hope. We come because we recognize that our lives are not the same without you, the God of hope. And so, Father, I thank you this morning. I bless your name this morning for all that you can, will, and has the power to do. And so we give you thanks. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. And with that being said, we are mindful of what Jesus has done for us. And so this morning we want to share in communion. We want to remember what Jesus afforded us to have. That because of his life, because of what he did, this morning you and I can celebrate. And so I ask you this morning to hold your emblems, your bread, which represents the body of Christ, or your cracker, your biscuit, or and your wine, or your water, or your juice that represents the blood of Christ. And we're going to take communion together. And as we take communion, we are going to believe by faith that as we, 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 we partake of these emblems, that the hope, that the God of hope himself will make himself manifested in our lives. We are believing by faith that as we eat of these emblems, whatever they are, biscuit, cracker, as I mentioned, biscuit, whatever, bread, they are, they are not the body of Christ, but this morning they are representing the body of Christ to us. So this morning, Father, we offer, we, we lift these emblems before you. And we believe by faith, God, that as we eat of them, like David, we, we are declaring that we will continue to wait and to hope in you. Like David, we will continue to trust and we will rely on you. Like David, we will we are eating and drinking, and in doing so, we are declaring that you are our sovereign Lord. In you, we take refuge. In you, we hope. In you, we trust. And so, Father, bless these emblems, we pray. May our bodies not be the same because of what they would represent to our lives. May our minds, may, may our spiritual lives be not be the same because of the hope we have today that as we partake of these, Father, not only do we celebrate today, but we, we celebrate until you come. We, 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 we keep in remembrance what you have done in the past to give us the hope that we need now and in the future. So we give you thanks, Father, as we take of the bread or the biscuit or the cracker and we eat. In Jesus' name, you may eat. We also likewise, Luke 22 tells us that when he's finished, he, he, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood, which was shed for you. My body was broken for you, but my blood was shed for you. May we drink in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the body of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that the hope that I have this morning comes from you. I have nothing, God, I have nothing in which I can trust or I can put my hope, but I have you. I have you. And when I have you, Lord, I have everything. James says we lack nothing. We lack no good thing. And so, Father, we just give you thanks. 
and we bless your name in Jesus' name.